I've been uh, preaching, I realized, from the Old Testament for a long time, which I love. We were in the Psalms all summer. Uh, last spring, we were looking at different Old Testament stories, un- the less, what lesser known ones, on, uh, before we headed to, a group of us headed to Israel. Uh, but now we're going to be back into the New Testament, and not just the New Testament, to the Gospels, to where Jesus himself appears. And this is my favorite part of the Bible, meaning the Gospels. This specific story isn't necessarily my favorite, but I love this story too. But back into the Gospels, talking here about how faith in Jesus leads to amazing things. Faith in Jesus leads to amazing things. When we talk about faith, uh, what we mean by that is trust. Uh, So faith, sometimes you hear the popular definition of faith as going against the evidence, or Trusting in something in spite of evidence. Those are not biblical understandings of faith. Faith always takes an object. Um, So you can have faith in anything. You can have faith in something that is trustworthy. Or you can have faith in something that's not trustworthy. Uh, You can have faith in a toaster if you want. Uh, That's the the question is, is it a good toaster? Uh, Interestingly enough, I I was going to say that this morning. And my toaster broke this week. So how fitting was that? All things, things started smoking up and everything. So... Time for a new toaster. But uh, that's not a request for anyone to buy me a new toaster. We'll go get a new toaster. Don't worry about that. But but when we talk about faith in the scriptures, we mean faith in Jesus specifically. Faith in something, an object, someone who is trustworthy. And there is plenty of evidence for his trustworthiness. Uh, Not only the scriptures themselves, not only the prophecies of the Old Testament, some of which we looked at, not only the life of Jesus and his death and resurrection, but even in my own life. I'm going to have plenty of evidence why I believe Jesus is really who he said he is, why he is Lord. Uh, He's changed my life. I like to think of the blind man uh, who is healed by Jesus. And some people, uh, the, the religious leaders of that day, basically try to convince him that Jesus is a nobody. He's not really anything special after all. And he says, I don't know anything about all that, but here's what I do know. I was blind. Now I see. (laughs) You want evidence? I was a blind man until Jesus came into my life. Now I can see. So what do you have there? That's clear evidence. And I could say the same in a spiritual sense about Jesus. If if I need evidence uh, for who he is, I was blind. Now I see. He's transformed my life. There's clear evidence. And when we have faith in Jesus... Amazing things happen. <laughs> Truly amazing things happen. We're going to look at uh, Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. Uh, looking at one example of how faith in Jesus uh, resulted in an amazing thing. Not that that's the exact amazing thing that would always happen. But I think it is a principle in Scripture that when we have faith in Him, amazing things do happen. There's an outline in your bulletin, by the way. Uh, if you're someone who likes to take notes or follow along. Um, in a breakdown of the passage, I'd like to be very structured um, in, our, in our messages here. So it's chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. Faith in Jesus leads to amazing things. And we read this, it'll be on the screen uh, behind me as well. After he had finished all his sayings, in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy, he's worthy to have you do this for him. For he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, Do not trouble yourself, 
For I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore I did not presume to come to you. But say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. This is why I love reading about Jesus. Every story about him just pops out. It's amazing. But look with me. We're going to go through this uh, section by section here. But first, first notice that faith is demonstrated by actions. Faith is demonstrated by actions. And particularly the actions of this centurion. So look with me at verses 1 through 5. After Jesus had finished all his sayings. So this is sort of the Sermon on the Mount. In Luke, it's called the Sermon on the Plain, on a level plain, but probably the same uh, place. Jesus, of course, repeated what he said in multiple different locations. Any good preacher does that. Uh, Jesus didn't just say his message once. He would go to the next place and say things similar there and again and again. But when he had finished all his sayings, he went to Capernaum. Uh, Capernaum is a relatively small Jewish town in the northern regions. Of, um, of Israel. Actually, we visited there when we were in Israel. I got a picture. Uh, that wasn't the original. You'll see it in a second behind me. That's not the original sign, obviously. There it is. Uh, nope, there you go. Uh, so that's not the original sign. Uh, that doesn't date back, because for one, it's in English. So that's your first clue. Uh, but we did get a chance to go to Capernaum. And the neat thing about it is it's a small town. Jesus spent most of his ministry, actually, in the small backwoods area of Israel, not in the big city. Uh, So he would spend more time not so much in Boston, let's say, but in Haverhill, (laughs) Uh, but in Rocks Village, uh, but in Methuen, in the areas right around here, let's say. He spent his time in small towns. He goes into Capernaum, uh, and as he does it, verse verse 2 we read, there's a centurion. A centurion is a Roman officer, a Roman soldier, pretty high up one. We'll talk a little bit more about what a centurion is a little later. And the centurion, remember Rome is occupying Israel, they're in charge. He has a servant who is sick and at the point of death. And he's concerned about him. He cares about him. Uh, which I think says something right from the beginning about him. Actually, the, this servant is really sick. There's a parallel account in Matthew where he tells the same story, but a little differently. And he says that the servant is paralyzed at home and suffering terribly. Uh, this servant is not in a good point. We see in verse 2, he's at the point of of death, and yet the centurion highly values him. He cares about this servant. Verse 3, when the centurion heard about Jesus, so he hears about this miracle worker who happens to be in town, uh, he sent uh, to him the elders of the Jews. These are the leaders of, uh, of, that, of that city, Capernaum, uh, sort of the older leaders of that town. And notice he has a good relationship with them uh, as the occupying Roman officer. And so he sends them to Jesus to go and see if he can get Jesus to come to the house. And I notice how the elders react to Jesus. It says here, verse 4, that they plead with him earnestly. Uh, So they really seem to like the centurion. Uh, They're not just saying, oh, here's our obligation, we have to go. I mean, he tells us he's the Roman and we have no choice. No, they actually seem to really care about the centurion and maybe care about his servant and how that affects him. So they plead earnestly with Jesus, please come. In fact, they say he's worthy. He's worthy to have you do this. And from their estimation, uh, Jesus is this sort of 
go public uh, person going around healing people. And this guy, of all people, is worthy to have you come and do this. Interestingly enough, he's a Gentile. He's a Roman. They're at odds with the Romans. The Romans are occupying. They're their enemies. And yet, they have such a good, close relationship with him that they're willing uh, to plead with Jesus to come. And they give two reasons why this uh, centurion is worthy. They say, first, because he loves our nation. He loves Israel. So he may be the enemy of Israel. He may be a Roman. He may be occupying us and have a responsibility to basically keep the peace here. But he actually cares about us. He genuinely loves Israel. He genuinely loves the Jews. In fact, he's demonstrated that, as he says, and secondly, by building us our synagogue. And we did get a chance to see the synagogue. That's the other picture there. Uh, Well, the remains of the synagogue. So that's the actual synagogue. And then you can see in the picture there what the synagogue would have looked like behind me. And I point in saying, showing you this is to say, this really happened. This is not just some pie-in-the-sky dream idea. This This was a real place at a real time. There was a centurion who was really in charge, and he gave up his own money to build a synagogue for these Jews. And he pleads with Jesus to come and to do something. As we see here is that faith is demonstrated by actions. At this point, it doesn't tell you that this centurion is a God-fearer, that he worships the God of Israel, the one true and living God, the God who has no name. But you see it by his actions, don't you? You see it right from the beginning. First of all, he cares about his servant. Uh, as a centurion, he could have said, he's sick, he's a servant, get him out of my house. Now that sounds kind of harsh, right? But he certainly had the authority to do that. He's a servant, he doesn't have any responsibility to deal with him. But he has compassion upon his servant. He looks at him almost like a son. Most likely he's called doctors to come and to check out his servant and do whatever he can. And he's at the point in saying there's nothing left that can be done for him. And yet he calls Jesus and says, okay, here's one hope we have. Maybe bring in this miracle worker. Maybe he'll be able to do something. Evidence of a changed life, of faith. More than that, he has a good relationship with these Jewish leaders, so he's not a bully. Uh, He's not domineering. He's not ruling with an iron fist. He's not a cruel leader. Some centurions certainly could have been. He doesn't seem to be that way. He seems to show a lot of grace. He seems to work well with the elders, wanting to be on the same page with them and make sure that they're maintaining peace. He loves Israel. That's a sign of faith. Why does he care so much about Israel? A lot of commentaries uh, say, and I think they're right, that this man was a God-fearer. And when we say that, it's a technical term. It's somebody who believed in the God of Israel, believed in the one true and living God, but wasn't willing to convert to, to Judaism, because that would mean circumcision and all these different things, following the food laws. So he isn't going that far, but he does believe, no, all these Roman gods, probably not. There's just this one true God. And if that isn't enough evidence, he builds their synagogue. Now, again, that's not necessarily true that he is a believer at this point. But to build a synagogue, usually, you know, that means you have some faith. Um, If somebody says, I'm going to build a church here in Haverhill, uh, and yet they're not a Christian, that's kind of a strange thing, right? So this man seems to show his faith by his actions. That's one thing I love about him. Uh, Before you even get to the fact that he is someone who is drawn to Jesus, you see it in his very actions. Faith is shown by our actions. Friends, I think that's so important before we even look, move on in the story to recognize that. Uh, Now, you're not saved by your works. This man could have built a hundred synagogues all over Israel, and that would not save him. Uh, I was just talking to somebody yesterday 
who we talked just briefly said, yeah, I've been a good person. That's why I think I'm going to get to heaven. No, that's not how you get to heaven. Uh, All the good works in the world will not save you. No ceremony will save you. The only thing that saves us is God's mercy and grace that we receive through faith and faith alone. But that faith is always displayed in our actions. I don't know about you, but I'm tired sometimes of hearing lots of big talk, right? People talk a lot about God. They talk about theology. They talk about a big vision. They talk about all the stuff that they want to accomplish. But there's no actions. Uh, I love to see the person instead who comes and helps pick up trash in the church parking lot on a Saturday morning. (laughs) I love to see the person who comes and helps paint or helps somebody move or is willing to get plugged into a community group and get to know people and help disciple another. Uh, Somebody who's really going to take seriously this 40 days of prayer and spend time praying each day, even if it's just 15 minutes every day, come to the prayer meeting. Faith is shown by its actions. All the actions in the world can't save us, but faith always displays itself by what we do and how we act. I've heard something similar said. uh, If if a non-Christian, if some outsider could see your schedule and your checkbook, just those two things. And some of you guys are saying, I don't keep a schedule. Well, if you did keep a schedule, a detailed schedule, they could just see those two different things. Would they know you were a Christian? Would there be enough evidence from your schedule where you go every day And from your checkbook to see that you are a Christian. Certainly, I think, with the centurion, you'd see that. Why? Because his faith is shown, as we see here, in his actions, even before he comes to Jesus. Let's look at that, though. Faith uh, recognizes our unworthiness. It recognizes our unworthiness. Look at verses 6 and 7. Jesus went with them. I love that, because Jesus almost always responds to a request with a yes. Somebody comes to him with a need, he almost always goes with them. He almost always does what they ask. Uh, There are just a few exceptions where their lack of faith or their sort of trickery uh, keeps him away. But he almost always shows compassion. He goes with them. As he's not far from the house, notice what happens. The centurion changes his mind. Uh, Not that he doesn't want his servant healed, but the idea of Jesus coming under his roof is too much for him. He doesn't see himself as worthy of even doing that. So what does he do? He sends his friends, most likely these are Romans now, so he's friends with the Jews, he's friends with the Romans, to go meet him along the way and say to him, Lord, I don't want to trouble you. I'm not even worthy for you to come under my roof. He may have something in mind here about the dietary laws and uh, the idea of uh, Gentiles and Jews intermingling, but nevertheless, the idea behind it is he thinks he's not even worthy to have Jesus in his house. You can just imagine him sitting there after he sends the elders and he thinks about it and thinks about who Jesus is and it's beginning to occur to him that this guy is not just a regular man, he's an emissary of our creator himself and thinking, I'm not worthy to have this guy come into my roof. It doesn't even end there. Look what he says next, verse 7, Therefore I did not presume to even come to you. Uh, Not only did I think you were worthy to come to my house, I didn't think I was worthy to come out there and meet you in person. That's why I sent these friends as an intermediary. In fact, in this story, Jesus never actually meets the centurion face to face. This man sees himself as completely unworthy. In the parallel account, if you ever read the one in Matthew, they they do meet. Uh, And what's going on there is Matthew is just shortening the story. Uh, To send your messenger is in some sense the same as to go yourself. So he just shortens the story and cuts out the details and says they meet. But Luke wants to point out a a specific detail of that, and that is they never actually did meet 
He sent messengers because he didn't think he was worthy to even meet with Jesus himself. He displays an incredible humility here. Says verse seven, just say the word, Lord. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. You know, the interesting thing about this is if there was a person who really felt like they had the right in the worldly sense to be cocky, (laughs) to have some pride, uh, to have some swagger, to be a little overconfident, it would be the centurion. Uh, So let me give you why. First of all, he's Roman. Uh, He's a Roman citizen, which of course doesn't mean a whole lot to us. Uh, But Romans at this point in time ruled the world. I mean, they were the people. Uh, actually, there are a few, few empires that almost ruled the entire world. No one's ever done the entire world, of course. I think Genghis Khan came, was number one. He had the most, most geographical region that he's ruled over this earth. Alexander the Great is next, and I think in his kingdom with Greece. But I think the next one is Rome. Rome nearly ruled the world, and he's Roman. And to be a Roman citizen is to have special privileges. Uh, one, you can't get whipped and beaten. Another, you can at any point in time say, I appeal to Caesar and be ushered into the very presence of the king if you're a Roman citizen. This guy is a Roman. More than that, he's not just a Roman, he's a Roman soldier. Uh, He's part of the Roman army. These were terrifying people. Uh, They conquered nations left and right. Uh, They ruled by military might. Actually, one of the secrets to the spread of the Roman Empire was the roads. They created roads that were safe for Commerce and traveling. And how did they do that? By putting the fear of the Roman soldiers into people's hearts so they wouldn't dare be attempt, you know, marauding people as they traveled along these roads. This man was a Roman soldier. He's a part of the Roman army. More than that, he's not just a run-of-the-mill Roman soldier. He's a centurion. I have a picture of a, of a reenactor in a centurion's outfit here. Uh, that would strike the fear in almost anybody. Uh, he is in charge of a hundred men. Sent. It was the Latin for a hundred. Uh, he would be equivalent really to an army captain today. So he's not just on the you know, low on the totem pole. This is a military officer. Uh, he's got a high standing. He's got some wealth. He has servants. He owns a house. He's in control of an entire city. This guy, if anything, has some worldly standing. Even more than that. (laughs) He's a philanthropist. He's generous. He's giving away money, building synagogues, and he's helping people, and he's able to lead people well. Friends, if anyone had the right to have a certain level of cockiness, of worldly prestige, of bragging, even even the Jews who are, in a sense, the enemies of Rome are saying, he's worthy to have you come. And yet, what is his own estimation of himself in the face of Jesus? I'm not even worthy to meet you in person. I I think he had a deep sense of who Jesus really is. That he is the very presence of God on earth. We see this in a couple other places in Scripture, too. Isaiah, the prophet, comes into the very presence of God. He has a vision. And he says, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. Depart from me, Lord. Actually, Peter, the apostle Peter, had this. This was his first reaction when he saw Jesus and saw a miracle of Jesus, the miracle of the fish. You know what he said? 
go away. <laughs> go away from me, Lord. Not because of you, but because of me. For I'm just a sinner. This man had a keen sense of his unworthiness before God and is humbled in the light of Jesus. Friends, it, 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 true faith recognizes our unworthiness. It recognizes our sin and our need of God. It recognizes that compared to a holy God who has created the universe, nothing of our own doing and self-worth will achieve righteousness and salvation. Don't get me wrong. I'm not a, this is not to be pessimistic. God loves us. He's given us Christ. He's the intercessor. We can go to Jesus. We can meet with Jesus. That's the whole idea of prayer. Uh, we're not separated by these barriers anymore because of Christ and His sacrifice. We come, in a sense, clothed in His righteousness. He wants us in His presence. But before you rush into that intimacy, understand what it took to get there. Of our own sin, we're unworthy. But by His grace, we're brought into His presence. That's one of the things I want us to do, as I mentioned during this 40 days of prayer. One of the the reasons myself and the elders, Pastor Mike, all of us believe this is a really important time to devote to prayer. I I feel like uh, this is a very good time for our church. (laughs) Uh, A healthy time, spiritually healthy time for our church. And a happy time. I I feel everyone enjoys being together and we love uh, to worship Uh, So what better time to to strike when the iron is hot and make sure we're praying, humbly recognizing that God is God. When you think about it, that's what prayer is, right? Prayer is a recognition of our dependence on God. That we need Him. That's why we go to Him and ask Him for things. Uh, If if you don't ask God for anything, what are you saying? And ultimately you're saying, I don't need you. I can do this without you. Uh, So when you go to Him and you ask Him for things, you're saying, God, I need you. I can't do this without you. Uh, I'm excited to see what he's going to do during this 40 days. I'm excited to see what's going to be the result of it. But I'm also excited to see what he does even through it. I do have two resources for you uh, that I want to just give out to you for free. They're at the back welcome desk uh, to my right behind you to your left. Uh, The only thing I would just say is only take one if you're going to read one. I bought a limited amount. We can always get more. But only take one if you're going to read one. Uh, One is called How to Pray by R.A. Torrey. Uh, so if you're someone you're saying, I don't know much about prayer. Um, I don't know much about how to talk to God. A lot of this is new. It's a great little book. I just started reading it. It's an excellent little book. I know R.A. Torrey is a, a, a you know, great theologian from the past, of genera- past generations, but an excellent little book. And if you want something for your kids, I just read through this entire book. It's a kid's book, so it didn't take too long. It took me a half hour maybe to read through it myself. But what every child should know about prayer. And uh, just take some time. If you've got kids, grab one of these. Um, and sit down every night, read a chapter or two uh, with them, show them how to pray. Uh, deals with the Psalms, what we just talked about, and the Lord's Prayer and so forth, but how do we approach God? So feel free after the service, grab one of each or one of those resources if it's helpful for you. But friends, I think one of the ways we learn humility is by prayer, by looking to depend uh, upon God, recognizing our unworthiness of ourselves and our need of God. And I hope that comes out of that, this 40 days, a dependence upon God. And when we do, when we have faith in Jesus, it leads to amazing things. Uh, look at verses 8 through 9. Faith puts no limits on God. <laughs> faith puts no limits on God. Uh, he begins to try to explain his reasoning, how he came to this conclusion that I'm not worthy, but you can just say the word and I'll be healed. Verse 8, he says, for I'm a man under authority. I think that's pretty important that he starts there. He didn't say, I'm a man of authority. That's true. 
But he doesn't start with his authority. He starts with the fact that I'm not, there's a lot of people higher up on the food chain than me. Uh, I'm just a centurion. There's the legion, there's the imperial legion, and there's lots of people up there. I'm a man under authority. If they tell me to do something, I have to do it. That's just how it works. Uh, But I'm also a man of authority. There are people who are under me. And if I command them to do something, they do it. If I say, go here, they go. If I say, come here, they come. If I say, do this, they do that. They listen. And his reasoning is, Jesus, you must be a man of spiritual authority. Uh, He puts no limits, in a sense, on God. He recognizes the power of Jesus. That he could say to sickness. (laughs) He could say to creation. He could say to little bacteria and viri and injuries and all these different things, which they wouldn't have understood, of course, back then. Don't Don't get me wrong. But he has control that he simply says, be healed. And it would happen. He has control over spiritual forces unseen, and he only has to say a word, and it will be happened. Just like as a centurion, if I tell my servant to go somewhere, he's going to go. If Jesus simply says, be healed, he will be healed. He understands that there are no limits to Jesus. Uh, One one, uh, commentator pointed out, and I think he might be right, uh, he actually didn't understand fully the limitlessness of God because Jesus doesn't even need to say a word. If you read the story, Jesus never actually even says, servant be healed. He simply walks away. All he has to do is will it to be the case, and it is. I'm shocked by this. I'm shocked by this servant. Um, uh, He amazes Jesus, verse 9. He amazes Jesus. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. Uh, Think about that. What does it take to get Jesus to marvel? (laughs) I mean, it's not easy to get Jesus to marvel. In fact, there's only two places in the entire New Testament where Jesus marvels. One of them is when he visits his hometown in Nazareth, and he preaches the gospel there, and most of the people don't believe him. And he says, the scriptures say he marvels at their lack of faith. It's unbelievable that they would not believe in him. And the only other time is right here where he he listens to this centurion and marvels at him. Uh, What what makes Jesus marvel is when we recognize that there are no limits to God. (laughs) That he really is as powerful as the scriptures declare. Uh, Honestly, to be honest, I don't think I would have his faith. Now, uh, this level of faith. If I was back living at his time, I think I would be a follower of Christ because that's a work of the Holy Spirit. And so if I lived back then, I would follow him. I wouldn't be one of his disciples, but I would be a believer in him. But I don't think I could do this. This is amazing to me. I would probably say, yeah, Jesus can heal. He does it, goes from place to place, but he's got to be there. He's got to put his hand on the guy. He's got to say, you know, whatever he says. He's got to say this longer, this prayer over the person. I don't think I could just assume as this guy does. No, no, no. If he can do that, he can do anything. He doesn't even need to be present. He just needs it, just needs to will it to be so. Friends, I I hope in some ways Jesus would look at us and marvel at our faith someday. Wouldn't that be amazing? Faith puts no limits on God. I hope that's true of you. Friends, your faith in him is growing, as is mine recognizing that there really are no limits to God and to who He is and what He can do uh, in your own life, that He is truly uh, all-powerful. Now, He always acts within His character, which is good and loving and just and merciful. He doesn't do evil things, but there are no limits to His power.
Friends, I hope we recognize that as a church going forward too, that there are no limits. Many of you guys know, uh, for, for any visitors here, but I, I, this has been my hope and my prayer for us as a church. I'd love to see our church have thousands, a thousand people on a Sunday morning. And because I love our church, and I know our church, and I know we're, we're people who love Jesus, and we love one another, and it's a healthy place to be and to grow. And so I'd love to see that expand. I'd love to see us impact our city. And if that's God's will, it's not even a problem. He only needs to say the word, and it would be so. But if his will is for us to stay at 100 people or so and just faithfully serve the Lord until his return um, if, or until we pass on to the next generation, so be it. He's God. We don't put limits on him. <laughs> He's the one who's ultimately in control. Actually, the scriptures say he can do more than all we ask or imagine. Uh, so when you can say God can do uh, as much as I imagine, no, God can do far more than that. He's beyond what we can comprehend. We began this year praying that this would be the most evangelistic year of our church's history. And I still pray that. I still hope that. Um, but sometimes God answers things in a different way. Not one of the things we've been able to do. A number of things He's enabled us to do over the years that are pretty amazing. We've been able to uh, send missionaries to South Asia who are now reaching people there uh, in a place that we don't see daily, but people who are being ministered to and are being reached. Uh, over the years, not just this year, but we've been able to host and direct a new church uh, into our city, Iglesia Biblia Bautista. We've been able to send a ch- Cornerstone Church a new pastor in Plastow. Uh, we've been able to sell Changing Lives Christian Church a new church building. Uh, we've been able to um, house the ordination service for the new pastor at Calvary Baptist Church, Kenneth Young, who's a great guy. Uh, and uh, we've been able now to even recently host another church plant in the city at High Rock, just on the other side of the building right now, meeting. Uh, God has used us in all different ways. And yet I still sense, (laughs) I still pray, and I still sense there's more He has for us. Uh, There are no limits to God. We pray and plead and see uh, what God has for us going forward. Faith puts no limits on God. And then lastly, fourthly, faith leads to the miraculous. Faith leads to the miraculous. Just look with me at verse 10. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Imagine that. (laughs) Jesus never even went there, never even arrived, doesn't even seem to have said anything, simply willed it to be the case. And when they arrive, the servant is well. And no doubt the centurion is sitting there holding him in his arms. I actually got a little picture of what it might have looked like uh, behind me, but just the joy of the centurion raising up his servant from his paralysis. Uh, friends, there is no limits to God, and when we have trust Him, He, he works the miraculous. Uh, does God still work miracles today? Of course He does. Absolutely He does. But I would, would, would want to uh, sort of redirect a little bit and say that's really not the primary point of this passage, though. Uh, the point of this passage is not a formula to get healed from paralysis. <laughs> if you're paralyzed, go to Jesus in prayer and tell Him this, and then you'll get healed. That's not the point uh, of this passage. Uh, having said that, I would certainly say if you look at Scripture and you look at church history as any sort of precedent before us, that when God's people truly trust Him and demonstrate a radical faith, yes, the miraculous happens. <laughs> and we've seen that in our church over the years. And certainly if we trust Him more, I believe we will see more and more that comes out. But that's still ultimately not the point. The point is, who is this Jesus? Who is the one who can simply say the word or not even, and see people be healed. Let's meet with him. 
right? That's the real point. Who is Jesus and can I be with him? Can I get to know him better? And why has he come here and what is he looking to do? Uh, in the Ari Tori's book here, so when you get a chance to read it on page 15, I love what he says about prayer and the miraculous. He says, why is it that prayer in the name of Christ brings such fullness of joy? In part because we get what we ask. But that is not the only reason, nor is it the greatest. When we ask something definite of God, and He gives it how real God becomes. He is right there. It is blessed to have a God who is real and not merely an idea. I remember once when I suddenly and seriously fell ill, all alone in my study. I dropped on my knees and cried to God for help. Instantly, all pain left me, and I was perfectly well. It seemed as if God stood right there, reached out his hand, and touched me. The joy of the healing was not as great as the joy of meeting God. I think that's the point of this. Who is this Jesus who wants to know us and wants to be in relationship with us? Friends, I want to ask you to be praying for certain things. Uh, This week, we're praying specifically for kids in school starting Wednesday. Uh, And so I want to to ask you to pray for a few things. I want you to pray for our kid town ministry and nursery. um, And I want you to pray for our teen ministry. Please lift them up to the Lord in prayer. And pray specifically for our new youth pastor. Who we believe um, is God has already set apart and is already, already has in mind. And as the search team spends time, spends time in prayer and spends time in discussion and gets the word out there, uh, that God would lead them and direct them to the right person. As somebody who will love our church family, love our teenagers, and is gifted and called to serve in that capacity. So please, pray specifically for that. But again, above and beyond, we don't just pray for our own church. We look to our city and the surrounding towns. Pray for our schools here. Uh, it's a rough place. Um, I got two kids who are both in school um, and have gone through uh, the public schools. Um, and I know it's a rough place. It's a rough place. You're not getting a lot of Jesus in school. <laughs> uh, pray for their faith. I uh, pray that they would know the Lord and walk closely with him uh, and know him in relationship uh, as the God who simply says the word and has the power with his will to do, has no limits to who he is. Pray and see what he does. I'm excited to see what God's going to do in these next 40 days. Uh, I I have no doubt that he's going to do something. Because when his people pray and plead with him, uh, he tends to work. There's no demand on God, but I know that's what he tends to do. And when we begin to pray and really devote some time in prayer to him, uh, particularly spend time together on Wednesdays, maybe fasting. Um, I know that some people that's difficult. I know people have medication and things like that. There's some limitations. But uh, for those who can, maybe fast through one meal, if not the entire day. And really pouring your heart out to the Lord and seeing what he does in your own life, but also in the life of our church. And I'm excited to see after this 40 days where he's directing us. It's sort of somewhat of an open slate. Uh, We had some plans, uh, but ultimately we say, God, you direct us. If there's a new direction, a new ministry, a new door you want to kick open, help us to know and to go down that road. Uh, Faith in Jesus leads to amazing things. Faith is demonstrated by our actions, as we see in the centurion's life. Faith recognizes our unworthiness. Faith puts no limits on God. Faith leads to the miraculous. And friends, I would say this. uh, That first step of faith, when you come to Jesus for the first time, if you haven't yet, that's where he does a truly amazing thing. The greatest miracle Jesus does 
is to make us a new man or a new woman, to make us a new creation. And when we trust in him as Savior and as Lord over our lives for that first time, everything changes. Uh, when I was 14, turning 15, I began a relationship with God through Christ that set everything in a different direction than I was expecting. <laughs> My whole life would be, in a, we'd be totally different. I don't even know where it would be, but it would not be where it is right now if, from that one, decision, that one uh, direction that changed, that faith in Jesus. But it doesn't just end there. Over our lives, we have a hundred different chances to choose faith rather than doubt. To follow him and to trust him. And I've said this before, I don't know how many times in a sermon, but I've never regretted trusting God in life. I've regretted not trusting him in a particular decision. That's true. Uh, but I've never looked back and said, man, if I didn't trust God, I would, things would have been better. Never happened to me. A hundred different times that, that has happened and never once have I regretted it. And then lastly... There will be that final time in which we face the end if Christ tarries and waits for his return. We'll trust him across the finish line. And then he's going to do something truly amazing as we end up in his very presence. Friends, I want to end with a short video that basically uh, just sort of inspires us to prayer. And uh, I hope, friends, that we do trust him. We'll see what he does in our own lives. Uh, see what the amazing things that he does with us and see the amazing things he does uh, through our church family. And after that, Pastor Mike will come up and lead us in our closing song of worship.